0: Let's see Paul Allen's card.
1: Welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We are broadcasting here on The Big Talker, 106.7 FM, every Saturday morning at 10 o'clock Eastern out of Wilmington, North Carolina. I am one of your hosts, Yael Ososki, broadcasting to you from Vienna, Austria. Uh, We are now the weekend of May, the second weekend of May. Great time to be here. And I'm joined, as always, by David Clement over there in Ontario. How are you doing? Good, sir.
0: I'm doing all right, I'm doing all right. I feel like I'm slowly turning into Tom Hanks from Castaway, where the hair's getting longer, the beard's getting bigger um so it's a new look um, but uh right now, the only one who has to put up with it is my wife, so all is good
1: well then you you've also made very good friends of the volleyball, hopefully, and uh you've yeah, you've changed your lifestyle. <laughs> I think we could all yes. stand we could all stand to to lose about forty pounds. <laughs>
0: Actually, I would take that part. That sounds not too bad.
1: That's easy. Yeah, give me that. Um, So, yeah, it's been a great number of days. And since we wanted to give you an action-packed program, as we always do, uh, again, you're listening to Consumer Choice Radio. Website is consumerchoiceradio.com. You can subscribe to the podcast version of our radio show that goes out every week in Spotify or the Apple iTunes Store or whatever podcast app that you use. Uh, we've had some some great interviews here the last couple of weeks. It's been a lot of fun and great. And we've got another one thrown your way. So, uh, yeah. David, what's this one all about? What can our, our listeners look forward to?
0: Well, this week we, uh, we got the chance to interview... Uh, our managing director, Fred Roeder, about intellectual property and patents, um, which is maybe doesn't sound like the most riveting topic, but uh, it's actually pretty important and pretty uh, relevant given the conversations about intellectual property and cures or vaccines for COVID. So we got the chance to pick his brain. Uh, he is a health economist uh, by training, and so uh, yeah, got the chance to pick his brain, ask some questions about ip and how this whole process works for finding a cure it's quite complicated so
2: um
0: i'm sure our listeners will enjoy that
1: awesome we'll throw it to it right now so uh we'll go to live yael and now to recorded yael roll the clip jamie Welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio here on The Big Talker, 106.7 FM. Uh, We are very proud to have our colleague, Managing Director of Consumer Choice Center, Fred Roda, who is here on the line. We got him on video. Fred, sir, welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. Yet another episode.
3: Hello. Welcome. Hi from London.
1: Good to talk to you, Fred. And uh, David and I wanted to get you on because there's a... A lot of things that we've been producing and writing. And uh, you had a great article. Uh, this one was in Cap X uh, The Folly of Opposing Patents on a COVID Vaccine. We're hearing a lot about pharmaceutical drugs. We're hearing a lot about accessibility. And now we're hearing in various jurisdictions about patents and whether or not they should even exist and whether intellectual property as an idea should even matter with everything that we're facing. So I wanted to get you on and we want to discuss your article and figure out your ideas about this. So tell us Tell us what's happening here in this whole space.
3: Sure, let's do this. So there, there are many civil society groups, but also politicians or journalists who currently see the COVID-19 crisis. And they're very worried about people having actually access to patient uh, to medicines and to vaccines. And uh, they basically ask that at least for COVID-19, both treatments, drugs, and also vaccines should not be allowed to have any patents. This is currently the discussion. And uh, one group which is really loud about this is Doctors Without Borders, an organization I really admire. They managed to raise over a billion dollars a year from private donors to help uh, during health crises in especially low and middle income countries. So this is a great organization, but I think they got their stance on fighting intellectual property rights, wrong. The reason why we have very bad healthcare systems in a lot of low and middle income countries is not because of the existence of patents, but it's actually because of high tariffs and taxes you have to pay in these countries to even import pharmaceuticals and to sell them. You have very bad healthcare infrastructure, uh, rundown hospitals, not enough doctors. So these are the real problems. And what we need to keep in mind when especially facing the crisis right now is it's not the problem that there is a really expensive drug to treat COVID-19 or a vaccine no one can afford. The problem is we did not really know, have something that helps us to cure this disease yet, or we don't have a ready-to-go vaccine. So what we actually need is incentives to produce this and by abolishing exactly those incentives, which is intellectual property, which is the right to profit from your invention, uh, we disincentivize companies, researchers, and investors to put more resources behind getting uh, getting us out of this crisis as quickly as possible.
0: So, I mean, the cynics on the other side of this debate will say, well, if we have if we have intellectual property kind of hold true for this, the company that finds the vaccine or let's say a cure is going to use that patent and basically gouge the world um, to recover uh, based on your knowledge and expertise. Is that likely? Are there examples that show us that that isn't the case that, that companies can find cures um, with IP and not end up in a scenario like that?
3: Yes, absolutely. So right now, there are over two dozen companies that uh, try to find cures and vaccines, working vaccines for COVID-19. And some of these companies have a very interesting track record of already inventing and developing vaccines and also treatments for viral diseases. And it's usually that pharmaceutical companies make actual profits and sell their drugs at high prices only in a handful of countries. These are countries where patients can actually afford this. United States, Germany, the UK, France, Japan, and most other countries are receiving most of these drugs basically at production cost, which is not very high. If you, for instance, look at Gilead, a pharmaceutical company from San Francisco, they currently have also a drug in trials which might help to uh, reduce the uh, mortality rate of COVID-19. Uh, It's not really clear if that works yet but the same company has also drugs against hepatitis C which really cures your hepatitis C and they sell it for quite a high price in some uh, developed countries like the US or Germany but in most countries they give it away uh, for just a few hundred dollars for the entire treatment cycle. So um, they just give it to other companies in India or in South America Um, to sell it at a much lower price. And if I say much lower, it's like seventy times lower than in developed countries. So if you're actually concerned about poor people in low and middle income countries having access to treatments, vaccines and cures, you can actually see that companies that are able to make a profit of their drug in some wealthy countries also have the ability to almost donate or give these drugs uh, away uh, at, at cost in many uh, developing countries. You can see the same for HIV and many other diseases. So philanthropy in this industry is actually very large because the companies do not want that patients don't have access, but they also need to make some money because it costs about $2 billion to bring a drug to the market. And vaccines even are a bit more specific because a lot of vaccines are public-private partnerships. So it's often the government teaming up with these innovative companies and helping to fund the development of this. And then there's usually agreement that um, this pattern for the vaccine can also be used by other companies or the vaccine can be distributed at an already given price uh, to patients. Uh, We could see this, for instance, with the Ebola vaccine, uh, which I I believe Gilead actually also has uh, one Ebola vaccine. Um, So this shouldn't be too much a problem, but what is dangerous is taking the incentive away for companies to actually own a patent afterwards, because then no one would want to make these massive investments anymore. And right now what we need is more investments, and more incentives to cure diseases. I might repeat myself, but we so far can only cure 5% of all known diseases. And that means 95% of diseases we cannot cure yet. And COVID-19 is one of these Uh, diseases where we're now basically shutting down the world economy because we don't know how to cope with it and we need to accelerate access and uh, to to medicine and vaccines but we can only do this by first accelerating the research because we don't even know what will come out and how this drug is going to look like and it's the private sector developing these things
1: yeah and i think uh I, I guess it was almost two or three months ago, Fred, we had you on the program and we were talking about, um, the Carol Baskin's virus. Uh, we call it the COVID. Um, that's our name for it. Um, we talked about that and sort of how it was developing, how it was spreading across, how it was affecting economies. Um, you are a health economist by training. One thing that we're hearing a lot about is essentially in some places we need to flatten the curve and all of this, and we, we need to do it as long as there is no vaccine, uh, which is you know not at all what, the, what we were told in the beginning. Um, I'm just kind of wondering, what is the process for developing these vaccines right now? Like how many of these companies are trying to do it? are we going to see more innovation from some of these companies or is it all just Bill Gates? Are we just waiting on Bill Gates to come up with the the solution to everything? You know, how's that working?
3: (laughs) Yeah. So there there are dozens of companies currently working on a vaccine and they all have potentially different approaches towards it. It's trial and error. And most of these companies will fail and their investments will uh, fail. I mean, they will lose money by trying to find a vaccine for COVID-19 and uh, some of these companies now receive also public support. even as a small government person, I would say, you know, investing taxpayers' money in developing a vaccine for this uh, disease which cripples our economy is probably not the worst use of money. Uh, it's probably better than paying another year and a half for lowing schemes and uh, bailing out uh, other industries. Um, and then basically how this works is some clinical trials have already started for some of these companies where they actually want to see if they're. Way of using antibodies or whatever they do uh, works to create some immunity towards uh, COVID-19. Um, then, once they've figured this out, they need to uh, get approval for the vaccine, which probably will happen quickly because there's a political will to accelerate approvals from, for instance, the FDA in the U.S. or so the European Medicines Agency in Europe. Uh, usually, these things take years. Right now, these things go overnight. It's very interesting that this is possible now, which hasn't been possible half a year ago. Um, But then we also need to figure out how to mass produce these vaccines. And there were, for instance, some news that some uh, parts of a vaccine can be actually grown in tobacco plants. So um, I I believe one company in uh, in Kentucky is working on this. Um, So you basically need to, because you need to have billions of doses, right? And that's not just that you switch on a factory and produce it, because you have also biological components of this. Usually, what you do is to put a very weak strain or dead strain, non active strain of the virus, something you bioengineered which looks like it, into the human body, and then your body reacts in a way that it creates antibodies for the, to, uh, for the actual virus. Um, everyone who had a flu shot know, has, knows how this works. So, um, But mass producing this, so even if we might have good news in a couple of months that a vaccine has been found effective, mass manufacturing this. The numbers of billions uh, will not happen overnight, but that's probably a process of, who knows, six to 12 months, and then you also need to distribute it. I've been once in a warehouse for vaccines, which was a wholesaler for vaccines, and it has very complicated cooling chain. You need to make sure the vaccine is not exposed to light, it needs to be stored at a certain temperature, you cannot shake it too much. Uh, so this is a very complicated uh, logistical problem as well, which will probably work fairly well in countries that have regular annual flu shots, such as most European countries, the US, Canada. But then again, countries in low and middle income countries will have the problem of a lack of healthcare infrastructure. So there might be flu warehouses somewhere in Nigeria with a vaccine, but they don't know how to get it to the patients without the vaccine getting damaged or being invalid. And uh, this is something definitely also organizations such as the Bill Gates Foundation and the Global Alliance for Vaccines Gavi which is also co-funded by the Gates Foundation um, is, has an important role because they try to figure out how to get this to people um, yeah but i mean there are many players who are working on a vaccine and probably before people get vaccinated it, 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 at least take another year even if we have very quick progress now because it's not just producing an aspirin pill but it's actually like a biological process so mm-hmm. It's, it's a bit more complicated than just sending out around pills.
0: And how, and how does the complication of producing the vaccine play into intellectual property? Because I asked that question, I know that in Canada, the federal government suspended the Patent Act and that always, essentially they did it so that generic manufacturers once, generic manufacturers would be permitted to basically create anything that the government deemed necessary without respecting intellectual property or the patents. Uh, I always thought that that was kind of silly because uh, even if you were to give these generic companies, let's say the blueprints to create a vaccine, they don't necessarily have the institutional knowledge or supply chain access to actually manufacture it at scale. Um, does that play into the the issue of, of in terms of a vaccine, you've explained that it's very complicated to make, but does getting rid of uh, intellectual property basically open the door to further mistakes or may- maybe firms or companies that are trying to manufacture, manufacture uh, these vaccines without proper processes or anything along those lines?
3: Absolutely. And um, again, like manufacturing a vaccine is not easy and supply chain just like from where you grow the uh, components that go into the vaccine to how you store it and how you manufacture the uh, liquid. So it's usually in liquid. Um, it depends how the vaccine is being built, but probably will be an injection. Um, and that, that definitely requires a lot of know-how. Um, so you probably create more time lags by just giving, taking the know-how or the, the, the patent and giving it to other companies because they have not been involved in the research. And usually while you conduct all your research and try to develop the product, you also define how your supply chain looks like and the distribution of it. Um, so that definitely creates a time lapse. Probably Canadian companies can figure this out because they're sophisticated, but looking at developing countries, the question is also if there's even the know-how, how to uh, manufacture this vaccine once you've taken away the patent. Um, But the bigger risk is just if you start doing this, you just stifle future medical innovation. And, you know, the COVID-19 is not the last virus this earth will see. New things will emerge. And we need to have a very, very innovative biotech and pharmaceutical research sector uh, that we are able to quickly uh, overcome these problems. And I mean... At, we, we've seen manufacturing problems just like with simple products such as test kits and uh, personal protection equipment, where a lot of, like, you know, millions of PPE and testing kits have been shipped to the UK and the US and Belgium and Germany. And then once these, health, they, these things usually come from China and they basically faulty, uh, they just don't work. And uh, that, that shows how important good manufacturing practices and uh, know-how are and you only incentivize people investing in manufacturing practices and um, know-how if they know they can own the innovation.
1: Definitely true. You're listening to Consumer Choice Radio on The Big Talker, 106.7 FM. We've been speaking with Fred Ruda. He is uh, the managing director of Consumer Choice Center, health economist by training. The article we we're discussing is the folly of opposing patents on a COVID vaccine. That's on CapEx. We'll share the link either below if you're watching on video or audio. If you're listening to our radio show or podcast, you can follow him on Twitter at Fred Cyrus Roder. Fred, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you so much. Cheers. we're back on Consumer Choice Radio, Big Talker 1067 FM. A great interview with Fred, uh, the article that we discussed in CapEx. Uh, we'll link to that obviously in the description of the program here and if you're listening on the radio or online, you can find that at consumerchoiceradio.com. All right, David, I am armed with a couple of clips. I'm armed with a couple of articles. I just okay. want to make sure I want to make sure you're also packing. Are you packing heat?
0: Yes, I do have uh, I do have a clip myself as well as um, an article uh, for us to chat about.
1: Let's start off with a light note. Let's do one of your clips and then we can jump into it. A lot of stuff to discuss from consumer perspective. Uh, take it away.
0: Yeah, so uh, I feel like this is now maybe the second or third time we'll play a Bill Mark clip, but this, oh, this is okay. Bill. You only yeah, get three.
1: Is... You only get three chances, by the way. Three strikes.
0: Yes, yeah, have <laughs> hit your max of Bill Maher. Um, so yeah, the question is, what's the new normal going to be? Um, I won't actually give it much of a teaser. We'll just listen to it and then I want to see what your thoughts are on uh, on what normal looks like after the pandemic. So, Jamie, let's um, let's tee that clip up and uh, and play it.
2: And finally, new rule: the next time we have a worldwide pandemic we have to come up with a better solution than everyone becomes Howie Mandel. You know Howie, I know Howie. Who doesn't love Howie? The world's most famous germaphobe who was social distancing before it was cool. Well, now of course, everybody's making the joke that Howie Mandel had it right all along. No, Howie would be the first to tell you he has a disease, OCD, that fucks up your life. He can't touch a doorknob or wear shoes with laces because they might touch the ground when he excuses himself to go to the bathroom it's to clean it no wonder he says it was always a curse that behavior didn't allow me to date or go out with anybody when I was young or really even have friends he also said I'm always on the verge of death in my head I worry that the past two months of quarantine have given people the idea that the way for humans to win our million-year war with microbes is to avoid them completely and i'm here to tell you you can't the key to beating COVID isn't dining through glass or never going to a concert or a ball game again it's your immune system you hear people say COVID-19 is a new virus, so the immune system doesn't know how to handle it. Well, of course it does. That's why the vast majority of people have had it, either recovered or didn't even know they had it. What do you think did that? The human immune system. Now, there are people with immune systems that can't do the job, and we should make it a priority to protect those people. But compulsively washing, being scared of your own hands, That can't become the new normal. In his later years, when he was peeing into jars and wearing Kleenex boxes for shoes, we pitied Howard Hughes because it was pitiful. In the 70s, they made a TV movie with John Travolta about a sick kid called The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. And let me tell you, if they start selling these things on Amazon, we're in trouble.
1: Well, definitely a big F-bomb I'm going to have to fix in post. But, <laughs> yeah, that was a great, uh, great clip. Uh, definitely, yeah. this is something that I think we kind of needed. And all the products that I'm seeing out there are things that they're requiring us to do or to wear. Yeah, that's the. this is the good Bill Maher. This is the Bill Maher that I used to love when I was you know, in middle and high school. This is the Bill Maher that, you know, I, I'm glad he's awake now.
0: He's yeah, out of his coffin. The... Yeah, this is this is vintage Bill Maher, not a million dollars to Barack Obama Bill Maher.
1: Very good. This is a yeah. million dollars. He's well-spending. And, um, yeah, I, I like that clip a lot. I think it's definitely going to set the tone for a lot of the stuff that we'll be having to deal with the next couple of months. I mean, the requirement now that—and um, where I am right now in Austria, we don't yet have restaurants open. That's next week. Yep. But I do know that restaurants are open in Georgia. They're open in Texas. Uh, they're yep. open in a couple other states. I don't know about Canadian provinces right now, but yeah. So there's, there's some really, opening. really okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, he raises a very good point. I mean, he doesn't directly go at it, but like, what are the, what are the mental health repercussions going to be of, of this like this fear? It's almost like a, like a like a nine eleven style of a fear that's been drummed into people in terms of like oh, constantly being worried, it's going to be, I mean, interesting, not in an entertaining way, but interesting in a complicated way, um, to see how this plays out in real time for people who have been living with this fear and what life looks like after and how do we overcome kind of living in fear all, all of the time. Uh, so I mean I don't have the answers, but it certainly gets my, my brain.
1: And I wanted to give you a follow up clip. Are you Ooh. good with this? So uh, I, he- I heard. Okay. I heard Bill Mars. You know this is his. Uh, what is it? Real? What What do you call this last segment? What's New rule. Call New rule. New rule. Yeah. New rule. Um, so I heard this, and this reminded me of something very similar, also from a comedian. And you talked about fear. You talked about germs. Who do you think we're going to? George Carlin. Mm. Who is it? George Carlin.
4: George Carlin. Okay, here we go. It's just one more way of reducing your liberty and reminding you that they can with you anytime they want. As long as you put up with it. As long as you put up with it. Which means, of course, anytime they want. Because that's what Americans do now. They're always willing to trade away a little of their freedom in exchange for the feeling, the illusion of security. What we have now is a completely neurotic population obsessed with security and safety and crime and drugs and cleanliness and hygiene and germs. There's another thing, germs. Where did this sudden fear of germs come from? in this country. Have you noticed this? The media constantly running stories about all the latest infections, Salmonella, E. coli, Hantavirus, bird flu, and and Americans are, they panic easily, so now everybody's running around scrubbing this and spraying that and overcooking their food and repeatedly washing their hands, trying to avoid all contact with germs. It's ridiculous and it goes to ridiculous lengths. In prisons, before they give you a lethal injection, they swab your arm with alcohol. (laughs) It's true. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Well, well, they don't want you to get an infection. And you can see their point. Wouldn't want some guy to go to hell and be sick. It would take a lot of the sportsmanship out of the whole execution. Fear of germs. Why these f- You can't even get a decent hamburger anymore. They cook out of everything now because everybody's afraid of food poisoning. Hey, where's your sense of adventure?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's uh, one of the great, one of the last routines I think he did on TV, I think on HBO or something like that, George Carlin. And I was reminded of that. I I remember, you know, this has always been in my thinking, you know, what about germs? What about our immune system? And that's exactly what Bill Maher brought up.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's funny. What's the date on that? on that bit. I think, uh, I think it it's, sounds like you wrote it for today.
1: I think ninety seven, nineteen ninety seven, 1997 as far as I okay. know. I might have to go back and, and look, but um this it's exactly, you know, the paranoia that we're talking about? <laughs> Everyone being scared and everything dirty? I mean, beaches that are closed. I mean, come on. That's in California. Um North Carolina actually opened up their beaches starting about a week ago. Mhm. Um, which is great. So where this uh, program is broadcast out in Wilmington, you guys are able to enjoy the beach on your own. Way to go. But places in California, they actually shut them down, and we've seen the crowds, the protests. I mean, this has gone to the next level. I have one more George Carlin clip where he gets more specifically into it, and, man, it is hard to uh, make a Carlin (laughs) routine radio-friendly. That's very tough. Um, FCC, we're on your side, I promise. All right, here's clip two. (laughs)
4: Besides, what do you think you have an immune system for? It's for killing germs. But it needs practice. It needs germs to practice on. So, so listen. So listen. If you kill all the germs around you and live a completely sterile life, then when germs do come along, you're not going to be prepared. And never mind ordinary germs, what are you going to do when some super virus comes along that turns your vital organs into liquid <laughs> I'll tell you what you're going to do, you're going to get sick, you're going to die, and you're going to deserve it because you're f- weak and you got a f- weak immune system.
1: There. <laughs> <laughs> yes, George Carlin. Great routine. I I need to look up the date of that. That that is that is true. Very prescient. It's good to know that you know we've had this in our culture for a while. Maybe we'll get back to it, but it is true. And and as a consumer now, there are so many things people are buying. Um, there's not really a version of Lysol here in in Austria. There is like normal disinfectant. Um, I don't know if you've been seeing people stockpiling Lysol and all this stuff and trying to clean every surface. Oh man.
0: Well, I, it's funny. I had some of those conversations in terms of our own groceries because we obviously have Lysol wipes. We have those on an ordinary day to like clean the kitchen counters and stuff like that. Um your natural inclination is, "Oh, well, we need more of them." But if you're not going anywhere, you're not you're you're not cleaning outside germs from your kitchen counter when nothing has changed. Are you more been... dirty now than before or what? <laughs> Well, no, no, no. What I, what I more mean is it's like you don't have the the introduction of like foreign bacteria into your day-to-day life anymore because you're just not doing anything or going anywhere. Yeah. Um, so obviously you clean things, but it's not like – unless you're wiping down things that you buy from the outside world, which you can certainly do, which in many, in some senses might make sense, unless you're doing that, um, it doesn't really make sense to hoard these items beyond what you would otherwise usually have yeah and I remember in the early
1: days of, of the Car- Carol baskins virus you know whenever you need to leave a, you'd get some kind of delivery right now um, yes you it would be like a very strange thing The guy would leave the package you'd be wearing a bunch of gloves and masks and um, essentially they normally require a signature but he's just like uh, yeah no signature it's cool and he just backs up and walks away um now that's just kind of now they just kind of leave it on the ground in front of me <laughs> it's like uh it's like we're we're offering you uh, our offerings from our empire our kingdom yeah. sir and it's like okay thanks
0: contactless but, delivery
1: yes which is yes. fine and if that is like the way we do things going forward i have absolutely no problem with that it's less friction less work i can receive yeah. my packages my and not have to deal with anything else and i don't have to go to the post office to pick it up I don't know if you have that issue, but it, certainly with yeah. apartments, I have to do that all the time. It's quite annoying.
0: Yes, we do have that problem where rather than, like, leave it on their doorstep, you got to go and pick it up at the post office.
1: Ugh. Yeah, so yeah. There's, there's plenty of that there. Um, there's a couple other clips I have. That we'll play a bit later. Any good articles that you've been reading, David? I know there's a, a couple you've been tweeting, been following you a little bit there and, and seeing what you've been writing out there. But uh, any, any good uh, links you want to bring to the table?
0: Yeah, so I mean the big one for for me is I know last week we talked about um, restaurants and, and the impact that this is going to have on restaurants and if restaurants are going to come back. And I mean another sector which hasn't really been discussed that much um, is home sharing. So Airbnb laid off 25% of its employees, wow. and we're hearing now all of these crazy stories of of Airbnb hosts, um, who for the most part are just people who use Airbnb to make additional money to make ends meet, are now um, really hit because that source of income is comp- has completely vanished because people aren't traveling, um, the thought of staying in somebody else's... Uh, home, whether they actually are there or if it's a second unit for a lot of people sounds very strange still. Um, so yeah, Airbnb laying off 25% of its employees. It begs the question of what's the home sharing market going to look like after coronavirus? How long is it going to take before we start traveling again um, and traveling again to the point where something like home sharing looks, looks uh, suitable, Uh, I mean, I don't know what your take on this is, but for me, it doesn't look very good. Yeah, and and we were Airbnb
1: host for a long time, super host. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was great and fun and, you know, got to meet a lot of people and it was great. It wasn't necessarily, you know, an integral part of the income, but, you know, after a while, you were able to kind of cover your rent and everything. But I think more for the people who saw this as a business model, and, you know, we're obviously talking about, travelers and consumers, but there are a lot of people, you know, we have to admit it, there are a lot of people who bought out entire buildings or, you know, apartments Mm -hmm. on their own and just rented those out. And, you know, they did all that, not with cash, but they, you know, leveraged it. They did it with a mortgage a second mortgage or something. And essentially they were barely, maybe they just made ends meet with all the people who were renting, or maybe they made a little bit of profit, but now they're on the hook to pay that with absolutely no income. So there's probably going to be a lot of people that will be defaulting on these types of mortgages. Yeah. Um, Airbnb is obviously, and, and most of the people they're laying off are, I guess, tech workers or maybe community managers or something uh, I can understand you're dealing with less hassle cuz nobody's booking mm-hmm. anything on the platform. Um I do have yeah. I have a friend in Budapest, she put hers up and you know is basically just desperate. It's like, "Look, I will cut the price in a third and then please somebody come and stay at my apartment. Please, yeah. please, please." Oh man. Yeah, that I can tell there's there's a lot of uh, sharing economy things that are doing very well right now, specifically deliveries and things, but definitely for Airbnb, yeah not going very positively there.
0: No, no, dark times. So hopefully they'll recover. Hopefully we'll be back traveling again sooner than people think, and uh, people can start renting those rooms and units again, but who knows? It's, uh, it's a
2: strange world out there.
0: Indeed. Very strange world. You took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> Thank you, Bernie.
1: Very true. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's there's a couple other articles that I saw uh, that are related to this. Obviously there's a, a lot of lawsuits that are being drummed up, Um, So Mm -hmm. I I wrote a piece for our blog uh, about the situation in Austria, where essentially Austria, there weren't that many cases in the city of Vienna, the capital. It was mostly out in the ski huts and in the ski towns. And the one of mention is Ischgl, uh, which is in Tirol. And what you have there is an area where apparently the bartender had caught COVID, Uh, good God, Carol Baskin's virus. And then a lot of people who were visiting, I mean, this is a party place, right? So people are doing shots and hanging out and throwing darts and playing axe games and doing all of that. And it spread pretty quickly. And these are all tourists who all went back to their homes and countries all across Europe. So it was declared a hotspot. And then the idea that a lot of people are having, uh, specifically a consumer group here in Austria, well, we're going to sue the province we're going to sue the authorities we're going to sue the owners of the ski huts and you know they're going to pay they're going to pay for this because they didn't close down early enough and this is the kind of stuff where what we know now is not what we knew those months ago and i don't know how much liability you can really lay at the feet of these people Um, i think the better approach of, of a state like missouri is you sue the chinese communist party (laughs) <laughs> sue the sue china for you know unleashing this upon the world uh who knows
0: and the, the thing that strikes me about this lawsuit is a lot so let's say people contracted the virus um in like late like january or early february and they're complaining or wanting to sue wherever they got the virus from well they got to remember that until the end of January, the World Health Organization was saying that it wasn't transmittable from human to human. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what are, what do you expect a business owner to do? Um, we all kind of had the wool over our eyes um, because the the WHO was parroting the the talking points of the Communist Party of China. So it's like, I mean, if if there were. And I forget who wrote this, but I thought it was particularly um, relevant. It's like, well, if let's say in February, someone was like, or early February, someone was like, okay, well, now we're going into lockdown because there's this virus. I mean, everyone would have said, oh, that's a complete overreaction. The virus doesn't even transmit f- between humans. Um, so how are you going to expect a, a business owner to be ahead of that curve when the available information is so, uh, so poor? Um, so it just seems like, it, it seems like displaced anger. Yeah. Um, obviously, nobody wants anybody to get sick, and if you've, you've gotten sick and you've had to deal with that, that's unfortunate and tragic, but don't displace your irritation on people whose fault it was not.
1: Exactly. And, you know, there's a, a lot of the statements that we got in the beginning, as you mentioned, were not even true, uh, things that have had to be revised, and, you know, these are our public health bodies, you know, we won't, we don't want to belabor the point on the World Health Organization, and we discuss that a lot and defunding it and everything, all the reasons to do that. Um, this <laughs> is very clear. I have another clip for you, David. Um, Ooh, think, let's think, hear it. I think we're in a very uppity mood. We're in a good mood. Things are improving. Weather's looking yep. nice. Uh, numbers are going down kind of all over the place. Some hot spots remain. Um, but this is a clip that I pulled from YouTube. So this is a YouTube video and uh, are you familiar with uh, "Awaken" or "Awake" with JP? I am not. Okay, so I have to give a tiny bit of context. So this is a guy. He's got like super long red hair, and essentially he's he's playing the uber woke guy. I mean, it's a it's his okay. stick. He's playing the uber woke guy, very pro vegan, pro. Essentially, everyone eat very good food. Everybody take care of your bodies. And, you know, it's all very good satire and humor. And here's one that's called, I Always Believe the Media.
5: People are freaking out right now. Like, they're tired of having their constitutional rights taken away with a mandatory stay-at-home orders. Cities are suing the California governor so their people can go back onto their beaches again. Idiots. Like, I'll stay at home for the rest of my life if they tell me to. Who knows how to make the best choices for my health and my life? Definitely not me. So I'm more than happy to put my blind trust in power-hungry politicians and definitely uncorrupt groups like the World Health Organization. I think they know what's best for me because, like, they know me better than I know me. The last thing you want is people to have the freedom to make their own choices and then experience the consequences of their choices. I think free will is a little bit of a sin. I don't think we should have it in the first place. Like You wouldn't give a razor blade to a three-year-old because it wouldn't be in their best interest. So you shouldn't give freedom to people either. All these Americans that want their freedoms are just ungrateful. I say if you don't like how things are going and you just want your freedom, then why don't you move to a free country like North Korea or Venezuela, you (coughs) freaking heathens? Oh, I 100% buy into the narrative they tell me. I think it's ludicrous some people don't 100% believe the narrative like it's the absolute truth. Why wouldn't you? Think about it. If you were in charge of a giant powerful business that pretends it's a charity like the World Health Organization, You wouldn't spend your time carefully crafting your message to manufacture consent with the public to get them to go along with your mysterious agenda that's in your best interest that you tell them is in their best interest. You'd probably just get up to the podium and have a spontaneous conversation and see what comes out of your mouth while you're riffing. I think that's what they're doing. That's why when Trump gets up there and talks about things like injecting Lysol, it seems so out of the ordinary because he spends months carefully crafting his message. I also find the more scared I am, the more unwilling I am to believe anything other than the original narrative that they told me that they're still telling me, even when (laughs) new, more accurate information emerges. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so that's Awaken with JP. Uh, good stuff, good content as always. He has uh, some very good videos. He's had actually probably some of the best content out on YouTube the last couple months.
0: That's that's pretty funny. I so I do recognize his voice. I've seen him do some good content on uh on vegans and and all sorts of other things like that. That's pretty funny. Yeah, it's just like hippie stuff.
1: And I love this cuz you know, it is very much true. And apparently, there's a new thing that came out saying that uh, this is from the World Health Organization. That apparently, we should now look towards the Scandinavian countries uh, for the example of how to deal with the virus and the lockdowns, uh, specifically Sweden. So, what is going on? What, who are we supposed to be listening to at this point? I, I have no clue right now, and I I, I do pity uh, many people who feel very anxious about this and. <laughs> many people who essentially have had their livelihoods taken away because of bad advice or maybe the wrong approach
0: i mean this is the thing we have the pandemic and then we have an infodemic um (laughs) which is that the information thrown at us is everything from being purposely false so like you shouldn't wear a mask masks don't work i mean that was obviously false um things like the virus doesn't transmit between people that was obviously false uh to ridiculing Sweden's approach which I don't even know if I support but now the WHO seems to have taken a 180 on that and said that um that maybe that's the way to go um people are throwing out crazy ideas that it's the coronavirus is linked to five G networks and they're burning down five G towers. I mean that's obviously ridiculous. Uh, there's mm. just so much nonsense out there. It's hard to it's hard to kind of parse through the noise, which makes that JP clip even more yeah uh, pungent. Because I mean, it, what do, yeah what are you what are you taking at face value here? Um, there's so much out there now that. Even from organizations who you were supposed to look to as an authority where they've completely shifted gears. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, it does, what, do we leave this and go, okay, guys, like, Sweden did it right. Everybody else overreacted. Um, Who knows? It's quite pungent. It stings the nostrils. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think one thing that,
1: you you know, you kind of alluded to and mentioned is that there is a lot of information out there that is contradictory, not just from our official sources and our public health officials and different governments, but then you do have, you know, the spread of different videos and things online. Uh, So we talked about this a little bit, I think it was last week or the week before. Um, The video of the doctors in Bakersfield that was taken down from YouTube, Um, Mm -hmm. the CEO of YouTube saying that essentially anything that goes against what the World Health Organization says will be deleted. And there was another documentary that was thrown up there. I think it's called Plandemic um, that was also taken down. You know, whatever the claims doesn't really matter. Uh, Most people are not going to see it anyway. You can find it on things like Bitchute and all these alternatives. Uh, to me, it didn't really seem that convincing. But, you know, this is something that people are, are really doing is is trying to debunk and dismiss a lot of the alternative views that are happening, which is exactly what you want. You want people to debate them. And whatever ideas are terrible and bad, people can do an analysis on it. And that's it. We don't need to have brunt, brute force. We certainly don't need to have censorship. Um, so there, there is one article that I wanted to point to from one of my favorite writers, Matt Taibbi. Uh, he wrote mm-hmm. this on his own site, The Inevitable Coronavirus Censorship Crisis is Here. Um, so he's talking about how there are calls from many people that we need to empower um, our tech giants or our governments to kind of renew some kind of censorship and use the China model and a lot of stuff about Internet speech. I know that there's now this Facebook committee that's set to, I guess, be in sort of like an appellate court or an appellate body um, whenever people are are trying to um, make sure that their posts get restored after they've been deleted. I mean, there's just a lot of this stuff out there, and and a lot of it is just ridiculous. And I think we should not be afraid to hear or see information and judge it as such, because if we just, you know, empower these people to shut it down, we're assuming everyone is stupid. Everyone's an idiot and people can't think for themselves. I actually want to give you a test, David. I want to test if you say this is true or false. Okay, here we go. This is um, from one of these conspiracy videos. I don't think it's the pandemic, but it's one of these. And this is about the origin of the virus and, and some of the information.
3: Okay. Wait till you see this. So i am got
0: Google Translate here. You can do this yourself. And I'm going to put in here uh, COVID and get the translation. So this is the Hebrew translation here. Okay. Now let's just put that translation here. <laughs> And we'll put it to English.
3: Mm-hmm. Kobe.
0: So COVID, COVID-19 translates
3: into Hebrew <laughs> as Kobe, as in Kobe Bryant. The whole
0: world is a stage, folks.
1: (laughs) I mean, this is the kind of stuff that people are watching, and and YouTube is using its time to go and and shut it down because they, quote, violated community guidelines. I mean, come on.
0: I mean, I'll say this very bluntly. It shouldn't be illegal to be an idiot, um, or it shouldn't be illegal to be wrong. That guy sounds like he fits into both categories.
1: I mean, there are actually a huge amount of Kobe Bryant conspiracies. (laughs) Oh, man. Because I think he he died in the helicopter accident in January or something. And and it was around the same time that, you know, there was a lot of stuff coming out. (laughs) It's just hilarious. Kobe.
0: Kobe Bryant.
1: Maybe that's actually a better... Well, no, that'd be bad. I don't want to call it the Kobe virus. That'd be bad. No, No, that would be mean. Good guy. We don't need to do that. It's just the Carol Baskin virus.
0: It's the Carol Baskin virus.
1: Yes, true. So that's the kind of stuff that people are getting up in arms about, and, you know, half of my Twitter feed and Facebook feed is people policing that, which, again, is fine if you have the arguments and you're debating it, and that's awesome and great. I don't think you need to—because what we're dealing with is you and I are talking about it not because it's a valid point of view, but because— People went out and deleted it, and you have censorship. So this is the the Streisand effect. Yeah, The, the idea yeah, exactly. of, of trying to cut something down and cover it up, and in doing so, you draw way more attention to it. And that's what these people do. It's sad.
0: Yeah, and and uh, I think the, the, added, the old adage is, the best disinfectant for bad ideas is sunlight. Um, and having these ideas be like... Us listening to that doesn't turn a light bulb in our heads where we're like, oh yeah, maybe it is linked to Kobe, maybe there is some grand conspiracy. It just makes us think that these people are stupid. Yeah. Um, that's okay. That's actually part of the point of um of being able to talk about ideas and have these conversations. And like you said, I mean, it only becomes more prominent like that video of the doctors. Uh it only becomes more prominent when you rip those things down because then everybody starts looking for them
1: Um,
0: and it it becomes the story in and of itself it isn't about what the doctor said anymore which could let's say been a news cycle at best Uh, it then becomes multiple days of coverage because everyone's like well why did they take it down i'm gonna have to look into what they had to say um and then you have more people watching it and if you're on the side of those who think that those things need to be taken down you've kind of defeated your original purpose because more people end up watching it.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly the problem with a lot of this stuff. It's why we don't need to have these big censorship organizations. And we shouldn't be, you know, using our time to do this. It's the same with legislation. You know, we mm-hmm. don't need to treat consumers like they're kids or they're idiots. People can come up with things on their own and the best person to know what's good for you is you. And you use advice from multiple people from professionals, from your family, from friends to make that determination. We should just allow people to do that so that's uh kobe yeah kobe
0: yeah, strange yeah. world out there
1: it it is a strange world it's out a strange there strange world out there so other other things I kind of got on my radar um there's there's been you know a lot of stuff about uh what's happening with uh national security threat in china mm-hmm. you know there's there's been a lot of that. Um, Another one that is also very interesting is the call to hashtag cancel rent.
0: Yes. Now, this it's is picking up steam. Yeah, this is
1: get, it's getting pretty interesting um, that, you know, there is a lot of people that are working on this. I know we, we've talked about this in the past, but, you know, this is picking up a lot more. I, I heard from our, our colleague uh, Fred today, actually, that in in Berlin, they're having their own issue there where they've actually given a maximum rent. Okay. So there's a rent control now, you know, from the other way that they're just capping all rents and doing that sort of in a temporary thing. But it's currently undergoing some kind of court process, and then essentially people are maybe going to be liable for paying back that rent that they did not pay before. So essentially, people are going to have to save money on their own in some side account to be able to pay for it. it's. It's getting insane. Strange. Yeah,
0: I mean, what are they going to do for mortgages? That's a, that's a huge question. Like, are they are they going to cancel mortgage payments? I mean, that's really the only way this. works. Yeah. they're just basically kicking the ball down the field. Um, but th- that's not any solution unless you have mortgage forgiveness. Then the obligation could be paused or disappears. But even then, in in some senses, I I know. Um, in Canada at least when they have offered mortgage deferrals you still pay you you're still paying interest on the deferral yeah so it's not i mean it's more of a situation where like oh you really can't pay okay well you're not going to have to pay this month but we're going to charge you the interest and add it on to that next month when you can pay it's not wow. canceling the mortgage payment for the month so unless you cancel um, mortgage payments for a month, um, or postpone them interest free and add them on to the end of the mortgage, maybe. Um, you're not gonna be you're, you're 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 not solving anything. You're just moving the obligation from one group to another. Um and then they're gonna either foreclose or default or run behind and run penalties and That's crazy. Who knows what. Yeah, it's just and then, another
1: argument to open up more man.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Let people get back to work. This is insane.
0: Well, so there was this – I got to thinking about this um, in Ontario because just now the province announced that pretty much all businesses with an entrance that's like street accessible um, could offer curbside pickup for their products. And in my head, I'm going, well, wait a second. Why wasn't it always like that for everything? Yeah. I, I understand that you defined it based on essential and non essential, but why did we do that? Like why I mean, should a video game store with one or two employees in the store granted I would want them to have protective like gloves and a mask and whatnot, but would it really be that radical to have them be able to run orders out to people in the parking lot? I don't think so. Yeah. Um and I mean, that's, that's, private,
1: that's private businesses that are then taking the initiative. You know, they're not being forced to just close their doors. And, you know, this is the type of argument that's creeping up. And that's what you saw in Dallas. Um, I forget this woman's name, Shelly something, who was the salon yes. owner. And uh, essentially she kept her salon closed for about a month. And it was just like, look, um, after that one month, she said, look, this is ridiculous. We know how to practice social distancing. Uh, She was able to buy masks and everything for her employees. She set up everything differently in the shop. She opened up, got cited by the police, and she actually was sentenced to prison. And I think she just got out maybe yesterday, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she refused... I think the way – if I saw the clip right, so she, she was offered by the judge, like, she could basically, like, be sorry and say that Apologize. she wouldn't do it again or something like that. And they wouldn't send her to prison. And she was like, no, I like I can't say sorry. Like, I, had, I have to do this.
1: Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, I have to feed my family. I have to feed my kids. Uh, I have employees who need to feed their kids. We just can't stay in this situation. And uh, the biggest irony, of course, is I think the hair salons did open up officially – I think they're supposed to open up this week or something in Dallas. Okay,
0: so she was what, like a week and a half early or something?
1: Yeah, and because yeah. of that, you
0: go to jail. You, yeah, I mean, uh, it's do not it's pass like the, go,
1: do not collect two hundred dollars straight to jail.
0: Yeah, it's it's like the um, I think it was Philadelphia. I'm not sure which U.S. city it was, but one of them that has like a mandatory mask rule, which I'm actually not opposed to. Um, they have a mask rule. And this, there's a video of this man being ripped off of a bus,
1: yeah, Philly, by I think.
0: three or four officers, um, very aggressively, for not wearing a mask. And it's like, okay, guys, like, I don't think that our reaction here is appropriate. Like, I, you can you can think that opening up your salon is wrong and that she didn't do it, but does she deserve to go to? To spend nights in jail because of that no yeah um, does this guy deserve to get ripped off of a bus and beaten like he just committed some sort of violent crime no um and so we have there's also the the, the criminal justice side of all of these discussions where it's like okay this is like the reality of enforcement is all of these very intense measures and you got to be comfortable Basically, forcibly um, dragging someone off of a bus for not wearing a mask, and, uh, or uh, you have to be comfortable with sending Cheryl, the salon owner, to to prison for a week um, because she wanted to serve customers. I mean. That makes me uncomfortable.
1: Laws have consequences, you know, and and the problem— Yes. The thing is, is there have been some police unions that have come out and said, look, the job of our police is not to enforce social distancing. That's not the best use of our time. It's not the best use of our resources, and it makes us look bad. (laughs) Of course it makes you look bad if you're the space police now. You know, these used to be people who would uphold the law, you know, when someone was being injured or they saw some kind of disturbance of the peace. Well, does that mean that anyone who's not wearing the mask is now disturbing the peace? I mean, this is the kind of stuff where the politicians, the ones who write the laws, you know, there are consequences to that. It's not just in a vacuum, guys. Um, I do have one favorite tweet before we end, David. Favorite tweet from Elon Musk, May 2nd. Okay. Um, I think he 's having some some debate about lockdowns, and we talked about Elon yeah. Musk last week. Um, my favorite tweet from him, There will be no Mars if we let them take our freedom away <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh that's good I love it
1: yeah he 's a new Elon. father
0: too he 's a new father. I have no idea how to uh, pronounce his child 's name yeah. um, well i don 't I... know if he was on acid or something when the kid was born
1: but i um, i don 't even know how. I mean, this is a very stressful time, and I've been there being a dad, and you're, you're, you know, your partner is about to give birth, uh, it's a yeah. super stressful time, and I don't know how he has so much time to run a factory and do all this stuff, and, and be able to tweet and, and sling insults online, I, I gotta give it to Mr. Musk, so uh, congrats there, fellow <laughs> dad, and it is true, there will be no Mars if we let them take our freedom away.
0: Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah. we- That's good. I love it.
1: Yeah, that's very good. Uh, We'll have much more analysis. We're actually going to have some very good interviews next week. Uh, We're going to tease that in good time uh, to make sure we can get a lot of you guys to listen. You've been listening to Consumer Choice Radio on the Big Talker 1067 FM out of Wilmington, North Carolina, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Check out our website, consumerchoiceradio.com. We'll check you next week.
0: I'll talk to you soon.